Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Well, guys, I did want to let you guys know that there are going to be a few differences taking place on the podcast. We will be releasing one episode per week. So this week, we will be on our regular content side. And the following week, we will be doing the exclusive episode. I find that we don't have enough time to complete all the nitty-gritty details as precisely as I would like to. So we will be doing that. If anything ever does change, we will let you know. So now every other week you will get an episode here. And if you're a patron already, you'll also have access to all the exclusive episodes as well. Now today marks episode number 10. Woohoo! Can you believe it, Landon? Like I can't even believe that we are on number 10. I cannot even believe that at all. And I cannot wait till we are on our 20th. Me too. So that is definitely something to be proud of for us and so many amazing stories we still have left to tell. Absolutely. Well, today has been a very interesting one to say the least. Uh, Originally, we were planning to cover the Ryan Larson case, but I noticed that the case was only outstanding since May of 2021, so I figured I would start with another Canadian case. This one has a bit of a personal connection with me, and I will explain that later on in the episode. The case of the Lost Boys of Pickering. I grew up in the Durham region between the ages of 8 and 23, and the Pickering Beach area in Pickering, Ontario, I actually worked pretty close to where they went missing. Personal touches and cases always add an extra layer for sure. Well, let's get started. Jay Boyle, Michael Cummins, Daniel Higgins, Chad Smith, Robbie Rumbolt, and Jamie Labrieve were last seen walking together towards the East Shore Marina in Pickering. Ontario on March 17, 1995. They were all young men between the ages of 17 and 18 years old at the time. It was March break, so the group was out doing a lot of other teenage boy things that they do. They were drinking, smoking, partying, and decided to head towards the marina for a little bit more adventure. The boys told one friend they were going to goof around on a boat. Surveillance caught three of them, Michael, Jamie, and Robbie, breaking into a marina on Frenchman's Bay at about 1.48 a.m. On another video, they were also seen taking beer from one of the boats that was docked there. I used to work at a daycare at Frenchman's Bay School, but only a few times during the breaks and the summer months. So this was the last time the group was seen, on videotape or otherwise. The next morning, the boys did not return home. They hadn't made contact with friends or families, and a few of their girlfriends were starting to get worried sick. Contacted the police to report them missing first, and the police didn't really take the missing report too seriously at that point. These were six young men who were last seen partying together and having a great time. They figured they had likely stayed the night somewhere and they were getting into some shenanigans. Maybe they continued the fun elsewhere. But two days later, when the six young men were still missing, police decided it was time to look in this disappearance more seriously. By 2 p.m. Saturday, 36 hours after the boys were last seen, a massive search went underway. Police went down to the marina to look around and chat with people who had their boats stored there. It was stated that between 2.30 and 3.30 a.m. of the day in question, some marina residents heard a motorboat out on the lake. 
The following morning, two boats were reported stolen from the two marinas, including an imitation Boston Whaler motorboat and a three-wheeled paddle boat. The paddle boat literally looks like a giant tricycle that floats on the water. This led the police to believe that the boats had been capsized and the boys were likely without life jackets. Even if they were able to swim, it was March in Canada and the water was so cold that they would have been paralyzed by hypothermia within minutes. Durham police were joined by the Toronto Police Marine Unit, the Coast Guard, and a Hercules C-130 aircraft and a helicopter from the Air and Sea Rescue Unit at Canadian Forces Base in Trenton. Thousands of volunteers from across southern Ontario then joined the hunt. But there was literally no sign of the boys or the missing boats. There was actually nothing at all to be found, including no piece of clothing. If the boys had taken the boats and gone for a joyride, even if they had capsized the boat, which looks incredibly difficult to do being the type of boats that they had out, there would be some sort of sign. Bodies do sink initially, but once decomposition begins to happen, they bloat and float. Unless they were trapped by brush or a chain or something. But all was searched. If the boats had gone capsized, at this time you would think it would still be partially visible and not fully submerged, or you would be able to see it under the water. This is not the ocean we're talking about either. This is a lake, specifically Lake Ontario, and the only items found on the lake was a gas can, and that believed to belong to the Boston Whaler. The lake was fairly calm that evening. It's kind of strange that six boys that were used to boating and used to the water would have capsized and gone into the water. They would have all had to have gone in the water at the same time for all six to have drowned as police thought. But then all six bodies or all their clothing or shoes would have been found or at least something. Although the boats and the bodies of the boys were never recovered, police still believe this to be the main theory as to what could have happened to the boys. On April 10th, 1998, which is odd because that's a day before my birthday, three years after the boys went missing, two sets of human remains were pulled out of the Niagara area. One of these sets were just bones, and the second set had a bit of clothing still intact. The first police to report on the clothing identified as a pair of red Levi denim jeans. There was also a brown belt and a black wallet and some white socks. On the day that Jay Boyle, his mother, noted that he was seen wearing a pair of red Levi denim jeans. Jay's sister also claimed that the belt that they had found looked a lot like Jay's belt. When Jay Boyle's family requested that the police investigate these remains, that were found because they might actually be Jays, the Durham police refused, claiming that the cost would be way too high. The police claimed that there was no way these remains could belong to Jay as they were found in the Niagara area, which is too far from where the boys went missing in Lake Ontario. Jay's family offered to pay for the investigation. They truly believed that these remains could be their boys, and with the help of a private detective they hired, they put in a request for the documentation. There were issues back and forth with the police agencies that they were working with and who actually had the remains, what the file number should be, and when requesting access to the remains, they didn't really have those details either. The family had to jump through so many hoops to try and get access to the remains. Ultimately, when the investigator did get his hands on the reports in relation to the remains, a ton of it was redacted, including the notes 
and many of the names. When they finally got access to the remains and had them sent over to the coroner, they were told that there wasn't enough evidence to actually put together a DNA profile and that the pants, those red Levi denim jeans, were actually misidentified and they weren't red Levi denim jeans at all and they were a light material of pants and an orange color. They didn't allow the investigators to see the pants and the coroner said that the reason it took so long to get the remains was because the police had misplaced the remains for some time. Well, there is not much to go off on this one or any other personal connections with this one. Oh yeah, there is. Now, I've only been doing readings since I was in my early 20s. Now, when this case happened, I was only eight years old. I was still living in Toronto at the time with my mother and my four-year-old brother. However, we moved to Ajax, Ontario, June of that year. Ajax is the next town over. Ajax Pickering is kind of a hand-in-hand -hand with the neighborhood. I had a very odd dream of a boy, and he was near water. And I kept having this dream, and when I was about 13, I had a dream of a young boy, a handsome guy, who in my opinion looked like someone who belonged in a boy band, so of course he got my attention at this point. I see this guy in front of me, and he was standing at the top of a cliff waterfalls and I'm sort of kind of sitting at the bottom of the falls looking up he jumps and I'm screaming for him not to do it but he does it anyways and then lands in a fishbowl a large human-sized fishbowl and when he taps on the inside of the fishbowl I can tap back he can't breathe in the water and he like jumps in the air and takes off with these huge white wings wow that seems like a pretty crazy dream I know I remember it pretty clearly and I had this dream a few times but there were some small changes and I also felt this drowning feeling. I had no idea who he was or anything like that so I just thought it was my weird dreams being weird. I did have a lot of dreams about boys back then. Even a dream about me before I came into the picture. But anyways, what happened next? Well, I had a lot of people who were asking me to cover this case so I started to look into it. I remember hearing a lot about it as a child, as a teenager, and then again as an adult. I never really looked into it much, but when the followers on TikTok started to ask me, I decided to look at the photos of these missing boys. I realized the connection, and I went right back into my dreams and thought, oh my god, this is it. I had no idea then, and then it happened a few times when things came to me, so I was like able to figure out a few other dreams later that may have kind of been similar to the case. There was just a lot of confusion, but I just felt like I needed to do this. Okay, so let's go back to that day. From what we learned from hearing about the story was a few boys were having a party. They decided to take off onto the harbor for the night and decided to start March break off with a bang. What happened next? I see the kids all started off together. I feel like they went to the harbor. They did definitely steal a few items from a couple of boats and places, kind of gathering things. I feel like they took a bit of a break and decided to have a drink on the beach where they were sitting kind of like more so on the harbor side of it. I feel like there was an area that was able to kind of have a bit of a fence and they were drinking, shooting the shit, talking about some funny high school things. I see that Jay was the older one or the oldest, the most wisest, the protective one, and wanting to get everything set up to take to the boats. Now keep in mind, I believe Jay to be the child, the boy in my dream that came to me as I grew up. 
I feel like they needed some items that they had forgotten or or weren't able to find. So I believe it was like a cutting knife or a lighter or maybe even both. I feel like him and Chad were walking and then I see that Robbie had started to walk with them a bit too. Now I feel like Robbie was the drunkest one of them all and when I try to connect with him, he shows me his barely moving drunken body. I feel like he went with the other boys to get some air since he wasn't really feeling good. He shows me that he tried to really make an effort to try to catch up, but from the sounds of it, he was really overly drunk and I feel like he needed his stomach pumped. I feel like he had some sort of alcohol poisoning as well. So when it comes to spirits, when they are drunk or intoxicated, is it hard for them to remember all the details? Yes. They can see some details, but they can only see things through their own life and their own eyes. So when they show me these stories and they aren't 100% well or sober, I can feel it. And there was a lot of alcohol in this one. Thank you for clarifying that for all of us. So did Chad and Jay notice how drunk Robbie was? They both did, and they did try to help him out and try to make him feel comfortable They even offered to leave him where he was and come back. I see that Chad at one point had Robbie's arm around his neck as he walked for him until his legs just stopped moving. I feel like the boys had seen three men. There may have been more, but from what I'm being shown, these are the three that are important. Jay shows me that they were really concerned for Robbie as he was puking and just in a bad place. And I feel like the boys were trying to see if these men would help them. Although normally they wouldn't necessarily approach shady people, I feel like they didn't really pay attention to them or what they were doing, also being drunk, and I also feel like their perception was a little bit distorted. Jay shows me he was running towards these men and so were Chad, but I feel like Chad got to them first. I feel like these men got spooked and I feel like one of them knocked Chad out, maybe kicking him in the gut. He shows me it was dark and they were all outside. There was a few lights, but they were far and few between and water was loud and crashing a bit. So it muffled the cries of pain. Chad shows me that one of the guys was from an Arabic nationality with tight pants, hair slicked back, greased. He was wearing loafers. He was also wearing a tight shirt. I also believe there were white pants involved and a lot of gold jewelry. He shows me that he was pretty fit as well, a big guy. He said he kicked him a few times and said, get the fuck out of here and screamed something in his language and shows me he was also laughing. Wow, poor kid. Was Jay also there with him? He was also there with him, but he was tending to Robbie. So it took him a few minutes to notice that Chad had gone down. And when he did notice it, he ran towards him screaming. Wow, do they have any clue who this guy was? I feel like this guy was some sort of drug trafficker. I feel like they did a transporting of goods that night, and I feel like the boys interrupted their exchange. I even see they had guns and were very dangerous. I feel like it was all sorts of drugs, and I feel like a big shipment to a local drug supplier was what was going on. I feel like they, the people that hurt Chad, were connected to the suppliers. And from what I can see, the local drug dealers were there at some point, but not at this point. Wow, man oh man, definitely wrong place, wrong time for these kids. You're telling me. Jay ran over to his friend and I can see the other men were sitting there, sort of talking but mostly ignoring what took place. 
I keep seeing that Jay started to check on his friend first and then started to lose it on these guys. I keep seeing that Jay was losing his mind. I don't know how he went down, but he shows me he was in extreme pain. I keep seeing pain in his shoulder and I feel like there was pain in his head. I don't believe they shot a gun because they weren't really interested in doing some sort of messy cleanup, but I do feel like he hit him with a tire iron or something along those lines. I feel like he may have been struck twice and I feel like Jay was screaming at the guy telling him to back down or fuck off and that's when the second man smashed him hard. I feel like he went down harder than Chad did and I feel like Chad was recovering from his blow to the stomach and the kick to the stomach and he was trying to make his way over to Jay and since he was only a few feet away he was able to get to him. How far was Robbie from all this? Robbie was not too far away, but the sounds of the water and also the crashing of the waves on the harbor. And he was pretty drunk to really pay attention to what was going on. But I also feel like the men who were beating these kids are also not really noticing him as well at this point. How long did this all take to happen? And what about the other three boys, Jamie, Michael, and Daniel? I would say it took about a good 45 minutes to an hour while all this transpired, I feel like the other three boys were also starting to get concerned. I feel like they were aware about Robbie being drunk and having issues, so they just assumed the delay had something to do with him. And also, to point out from what Jamie's showing me, that he also was drinking a lot more on the beach even after he was already very intoxicated. So the rest of them started to head down to the harbor side as they started to walk towards them. Wow. There are so many people that are connected into this case. It must be intense. It really is. There is a lot of spirits trying to connect and they're all teenagers and they were all drunk. So their interpretations of what happened don't always make sense or add up. So I have to sort of put the pieces together to fit as a storyline. Uh, Chad also shows me he felt like he was down a long time, but it looks like he was able to get up and see Jay breathing and trying to help him. The two guys, plus the third one who didn't really participate, looks like they had left the kids and headed back shortly after. Chad shows me he tried to help his friend and he was screaming out for his friends to help, but of course they couldn't because they couldn't really hear him. I feel like his noises were really upsetting these thugs and I feel like they started to make their way back to the beach. He also shows me that there was a blue Astro van with k6g possibly a plate number i'm not totally sure chad just keeps showing it to me over and over again and i feel like that's where all the drugs were placed did they finally all meet up well it looks like they did see robbie i feel like all three of them stopped and tried to help him robbie was passed out and not well and if anything i feel like he really needed a hospital at this point he was so dehydrated i don't feel like the boys had any sort of water either I feel like at this point, Jamie was getting really worried and told the others that he was going to go look for Chad and Jay, and I feel like he started to head towards the abyss. While all this was happening, I'm being told that these men came back to Chad and Jay, and they show me that the greasy, gross guy who had kicked him and hit him in the gut with the tire iron and these other men took Jay, who never regained consciousness, and carried him back to the Astro Van. I feel like these men taped up these kids' hands and legs and mouths and tossed them in the back of the van. I don't see that there were any seats back there, but there was definitely a lot of junk and tools and fast food. 
these men wanted to get rid of these kids because they were afraid that they would have outed them to the cops. Sadly, yes for sure. And now as these men are putting these boys in the van, Jamie had approached them. He didn't really know what was going on, but when he did, he started to get into this guy's face. I feel like he punched him. I also feel like the guy got really mad because he did scratch his face and cause some sort of pain. In a burst of rage, I feel like he got shot. But again, he also shows me he was sort of drunk, and he's not really sure if it was an actual bang, but he got hit somehow. I believe he also got him in the car at that point. I feel like Danny was trying to carry Robbie, and I feel like he thought the boys were getting help. He didn't have any idea as to what was going on. He shows me that these three men were the last thing he's seen. He also seen Jamie was getting his arm taped up with gray tape, and then the men noticed them. He even made some sort of comment like, How many motherfuckers are there here? Danny shows me he froze. He was so scared, he had no idea what happened to him next. He just remembers dropping Robbie and both of them ending up in the van. Now, from the sounds of it, by the time Chad woke up, looks like the sun had risen and that there was really loud music and these men were talking to each other in the front. They were both different cultures, so they needed to speak in English. It seems like the third man had stayed back to do a beach clean to make sure there were no items left on the beach to connect him to the boys and anything for that matter. And I feel like he just went to a hotel via cab and stayed at a little motel. I feel like this was right on the main road, Highway 2. Since I know the area, I can kind of pinpoint it. Anyways, the two men were going to make plans to come back and get the other man later, so perhaps the next day. I also feel like that motel is no longer an option. Where were they headed to, do they know? Well, from what I see, Jay never woke up again. I feel like he had a head bleed or even an internal injury. I have no idea if Robbie ever woke up again because he was really sick and sadly I don't feel like he was awake for any of this. Chad was pretty injured and so was Jamie, but they were both aware. And Michael. I don't feel a lot from him. I don't know why. He may have been drunk or just not interested in speaking, but he was also awake. Chad and Jamie are the most aware. And they both tell me that they were taken somewhere for a while. They didn't really let them out of the van at all. And he said that they didn't get to eat. They got nothing in relation to being treated well. They don't know where the lost time came from, but he feels like they were driving for a long time. But he also knows they stopped a lot as well. Chad said that the men were complaining about being late for another shipment at the border and the driver was also complaining about being tired and sleepy and couldn't do much. Once nightfall came, Chad remembers that everyone was taken to the water. Being really loud, Chad shows me that he had something kind of over his face like a sack. This was only put on his face so that they can cover it while they were kind of taking them away. He knew that they were close to water because they could smell it pretty significantly and they show me that they may have been drugged up as well, including Jay and Robbie who never regained consciousness. I can only imagine the amount of energy this is taking to do all this. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I feel hot and sweaty and a little on fire as these kids just show me all of their raw pain. They keep showing me that they were calling out to their moms and their girlfriends and their family and siblings, you name it. They didn't stop trying, and they needed their families to know that part. I think I already know where they are headed, but 
you want to confirm? Are they taking them to the falls? Oh, yes, they did. And they have been here before and have been there after this night as well. They feel like this is the best way to do the cleanup of people who interfere with their drug trafficking plans. They took these boys one by one and dumped them. Not at the top of the Rainbow Bridge or anything like that, but a side part where it's easily accessible. At least it was at this point. And not a lot of traffic and very loud area. They had to take the boys one at a time and I feel like they had to hike a bit to get there as well. And these men were not happy. I feel like they were beating these boys all the way down to the water because they had to keep putting them down and keep picking them up. And they didn't really give a crap about them, especially since they had to take three trips. They dropped them all and they all died. They still hang out together and this night has kept them all together. They show me that these men are already behind bars and have been for a while. One of them died and the other two are much older and also in cells. I feel like one of them was an American citizen and in a pretty crazy American prison like Rikers or something along those lines. And the other one I feel like was transported back to their country in a prison as well for major sex trafficking related charges. Jay also wanted to confirm that his items were found. He believed the bones to be connected to Michael. And from what I see, there are other bodies and bones that were found in the USA and just never had a positive ID. It didn't really make any sort of connection to the USA. That's why they didn't really come up with anything. I also feel like the police screwed up the investigation. The Levi's are still not necessarily recovered and they had brought another item to the family, uh, which was not the item that in fact was for Jay, but the items they had originally found, yes, belong to Jay. Will this case ever get solved? I feel like this case will get solved, actually, but it looks like there will be some new scientific discovery about DNA, and I feel like they will figure it out, at least connected to the American person anyway. I feel like the clothes will be reevaluated, and they will figure that out as well, and they will be able to determine that it belonged to Jay. But I also feel like they're not going to get the full story. So the only way they'll be able to really get those details is my paranormal world. Thanks for all of that. I know that one was a really hard one to keep up with and I applaud your efforts. I know how hard you worked on this one. Now, let's hear a paranormal story from your past. I definitely will. But before I go into that, I wanted to mention something else about this case that kind of took place today and yesterday. We ran into some major issues. I had written out about 14 pages for this case and then they just disappeared. And then last night, Landon and I decided to record the episode and then that also disappeared, which is why this episode is late by one day. Really feel like somebody doesn't want it out there, but I really wanted this out there and so did the boys. So there we go. Thank you. Now, when it comes to my story, I figured I'll stick with this story when I was eight years old. I had moved to Ajax, Ontario with my stepfather, my mother, and my brother. And at that point, I was in school and uh, something pretty significant happened. My uncle had passed away and it was pretty crazy because he was only 35 years old. Well, long story short, my grandfather and my grandmother had just come back from grocery shopping and was calling my uncle who lived upstairs. Unfortunately, my uncle was not somebody who would come running. So my grandmother just assumed his headphones were on. She had made dinner and called up to him again. 
Unfortunately, he didn't come down, and that part was very unlike him. So she figured she'd go and check on him. When she got upstairs, she noticed the door was ajar and she couldn't get it open. So she called my grandfather. My grandfather also came up the stairs and the two of them pushed the door together. They were able to maneuver their way a little bit and my uncle's arm and hand fell out the door and they realized my uncle was no longer living. Obviously, they called 911 and they came to help my grandparents. My grandmother, of course, fell over and I remember her telling us this story like it was yesterday. Anyways, so my uncle had passed on and I didn't really dabble in anything spiritual at this time, nor did I really see anybody pass on before either or had been to a funeral. We had gone to a funeral harbor and I just kind of walked in and my mom didn't really tell me what to expect there. And I had just seen my uncle in a casket and I just froze. I didn't freeze because of his dead body. I froze because I can see him sitting up in the coffin, which scared me. And he waved at me and I didn't know what to do. So I turned my back to him, kissed my grandparents and ran the hell out of there. And I didn't go back into a funeral parlor until I was in my 20s. I haven't seen my uncle since then. And I don't necessarily feel like he crossed over, at least in the good place. Do you feel like maybe you don't see him because like when he you saw him like sitting up in his coffin and you saw him, you know, in the afterlife, he was like, oh, shit, I scared her. So like, I'm just going to stay over here. I mean, it's possible. I don't necessarily have the answers for that, but he is one of the only spirits that I cannot reconnect with for some reason. Well, thank you for that story. Thank you so much for covering the Lost Boy stories. Next week, we will be covering the John Benet Ramsey Part 2 on Podbean on the exclusive content side. So anyone who has a patron will be able to have access to that. Anyone who wants to become a patron, definitely do so. That helps us to be able to continue to keep giving you this content. The following week, we will be back to the public side uh, where anyone can access any of those episodes. We will be covering the Muramori, and I can't wait for that story. Also want to let everyone know, when Liz and I hit up some of these haunted places this summer, we will be filling you in on some audios and possibly some videos about our experience. So make sure to keep on listening. You won't want to miss out on this summer. Until next time, guys, stay freaked out.